Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God says, But son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Now, if you remember from our study last week, we looked over and over at the fact that God kept saying to Ezekiel, you're going to be speaking to a rebellious house. And we did a study, a brief but somewhat in-depth study of the rebelliousness of Israel throughout their history. But I want to deal tonight by asking you a specific question about Israel's, Israel's rebellion. How was Israel rebellious? In what way were they rebellious? And try to put it as succinctly as you can. And by the way, just go ahead and throw out some guesses. What do you think? How were they rebellious? Make it as succinct as you can. Idol worship is a good one. Go ahead. Somebody else? They turned away from God. They neglected the Sabbath. They demanded a king. Every way imaginable. All right, very good. So can we then make it very succinct by putting it this way? They rejected and ignored the word of God. Now, it manifests itself in idol worship and all these other things. They rejected and ignored the word of God. Now, once again, as we go down this road tonight, like I told you last week, it's very easy to look at wicked Israel. But hopefully every one of us realizes we all have those same tendencies ourselves. We all have that same desire. I love the song, the old hymn, Prone to Wander, Lord, I Feel It. Prone to Leave the God I Love. Anybody else have that struggle? Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So as we take a look at their rejection of God and his word, just let the spirit of God speak to you tonight as well and the fact that we have those same problems ourselves. So we're going to deal tonight with why did they reject God's word? And there's lots of reasons. Well, the first one I'm going to pull out is, is they thought they knew better. And that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We're not going to have you turn there. But don't you know that in the situation with Adam and Eve, God had spoken. God had said, this is the tree, all the trees you're allowed to eat from. You're just not allowed to eat from this one tree. Satan comes on the scene, even though they knew what God had said. And Satan comes on and says, actually, God it knows that if you eat of this tree, it'll make you like him. It'll make you wise. Now listen closely to what the scripture says. And when they looked at the fruit and looked at the tree and they saw that it was good for food and able to make one wise, they ate of it. In other words, we know what God says, but we think. And they thought they knew better. Go to Judges chapter 17. You'd be amazed how many people today still do the same thing. As a pastor, I, 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 I could tell you story upon story about people that came to me wanting me to approve their sin. I know what God's word says, but this situation's different. Judges chapter 17, look at verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, quickly jump to Proverbs 16 and look at verse 25, and let's see what that will do for you. Proverbs chapter 16, everybody doing what's right in his own eyes. Proverbs 16 verse 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Amazingly, even though Israel knew the word of God, they thought they knew better. And we have that same problem. But there's, there's another aspect of it as well that I want to pull out. They also lived for themselves and had no fear of God. Not only did they think they knew better, 
They really didn't fear God in living for themselves and making their own decisions and doing what was right in their own eyes. They had no fear of God. Jump to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 9 through 18. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. Paul's just talked about how uh, sin is, is rampant in the world. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Romans, What then? Are we Jews any better, better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, most of you have study Bibles in front of you. The section that I just read, is it, is it font a little bit different from the rest of the scriptures on your pages? Why is that? Why is the font different in that section I just read? Exactly. All of that was just quotes from the Old Testament. This wasn't Paul talking about how bad he thought everybody was. He was just simply quoting what God had said about them all along through the history. And there was no fear of God before their eyes. There's a third reason why I want to bring out to you tonight that the nation of Israel rejected God. Not only did they think they knew better, not only did they have really no fear of God. Also, the Bible says um, that they actually saw obeying God as a chore and a duty and a burden. Now, i got to be honest with you. This is where we might start going from preaching to meddling. Because I know many of us, if we've been walking with the Lord for a period of time, because of our misunderstanding about our relationship with the Lord, many of us have thought serving God was a chore or a duty or a burden as well. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to see that they saw obeying God as not only a chore and a burden and a duty, they missed the fact that it was a path to blessing and peace. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll look at verses 1 through 15, and look at all that God says to the nation of Israel here as he's bringing them into the land. Moses is speaking, but God's speaking through Moses. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. 
And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Here we see once again that whole pattern that all throughout the scriptures of God offering blessings or curses. He says, if you obey him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not like that. I'm going to bring you into a place where you don't even have to build houses or the cities or dig wells or plant vineyards. I'm going to bless you. And so what I want to do for a little bit tonight along this line is I want to show you how much we miss out on as believers because we don't fully obey the word of God ourselves. I want you to see God in a way for who he really is. Psalm 34 says it this way, taste and see that the Lord is good. But many of us have felt that serving God was a duty or a religious activity. How many times have we said to ourselves, I have to go to church? Not I get to go to church, but I have to go to church or I have to read my Bible. Or, we felt like it was a duty or a chore. And so what I want to do is take a little bit of time to kind of show you some scriptures that you might have never really seen in this way. Go to Jeremiah chapter 5. I want you to see how God is saying to us all the time, if you'll just trust me and do what I say, I will bless you. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 25 Declare this in the house of Judah, or Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that, can, that cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away, and your sins have kept good from you. Do you see what God says? He says, I'm the one that not only controls the judgment, I'm the one who also controls the blessing." I'm protecting you from things. I'm watching over you. And actually, your sins, your iniquities have kept good from you. Those of you who are parents, who have children, don't, when they give you their birthday list or Christmas list, don't you wish you could give them everything on their list? Isn't that within you a desire that you, if, you, if you had the money, you would love? Where does that come from, folks? It comes from God. He actually says you're missing out on good Years ago, I remember a pastor friend of mine named John was associate pastor with me in New Orleans, and, and uh, he was taking his kids um, to Wendy's after church one night to get them a Frosty on the way home as a treat. And they were disobeying, and he pulled out of the drive through line, and they cried, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't reward this behavior with a Frosty. He told me later on, he goes, it hurt me like you wouldn't believe to watch them miss out on the thing they were so looking forward to, but I couldn't bless that attitude, that behavior. He said, but it killed me that I couldn't bless them. And he said, I'm starting to understand the heart of God. And I wonder how much we miss out on because we don't fully obey the word of God ourselves. Go to Malachi chapter one. 
Malachi chapter 1, look at verses 6 through 14. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, God says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to you? Any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to, the setting of, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." The first time I ever saw those words where God says to the nation of Israel, I'm a great king, I actually started to cry because it made me hurt a little bit that God would have to say, I'm a good dad. Isn't that amazing? I know for myself, I'm not a perfect dad. But I think one of the areas that is a father that bothers me the most when it comes to my kids is when I feel like they take for granted all that I do for them. And they don't appreciate all that I do for them. And then they act disrespectful toward me. Inside, I'm thinking, you don't have any idea all that I do. Of course, I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Think of what God deals with. And folks, we're not in a sacrificial system where we're supposed to bring a sacrifice to the altar. But how often have we really given God a worship that is real and sincere from our heart. How often have we snorted at it? How often have we just gone through the motions? Go over to Malachi chapter 3 and let's look a little more closely at what God says in verse 6 and following. God says, For the, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? In other words, where have we gotten off track? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine of the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? 
You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Look at what God says. He says, test me. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that takes care of all your need. And God began to speak to my heart. And some of you would say, well, Jim, we're no longer under the law, so we don't have to tithe. Let me just talk to you that are feeling that way right now. You're true. You're correct. We're not under the law. We don't have to tithe. But listen closely to what I'm going to tell you. I could show you two places in the Old Testament where people gave a tenth of what they had to God before the law even showed up. They did it as a worship to God. Jacob did it. Abraham and Melchizedek did it. That was before the law even came. And as a worship to God, they gave a tenth. But I'm going to also remind you of the words of Jesus. When he came on the scene and he took the law, he would always say, the law says you shall not commit adultery. But I say you can't even look lustfully at a woman. And he made it harder. He said, the law says you shall not kill. I say you have hatred toward your brother. You've broken this law. And he made it harder. I want to tell you, instead of us saying, well, I'm no longer under the law. I don't have to tithe. If we are faithful to the whole of Scripture, the Bible actually says, Jesus' own words in Matthew 23, he talking to the Pharisees. He says, you tithe on a mint and cumin, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. You should have practiced the former, I'm sorry, the, 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 the former without neglecting the latter. In other words, Jesus even said the tithing thing is a good thing. What you do when you give of your tithe is actually your way of saying to God, I believe that you will take care of me. My worship is of you. I'm going to give to what you say. And if we're going to be faithful to scriptures, we should be given more than 10%. We should be giving tithes and offerings as a worship to God. It's not a law that we have to meet to fulfill. But as of our heart is really that he's a good king and he's a great God. We should be people who are generous. We should be people that are actually saying, my God will take care of me. And I, I got to be honest with you. I was a little convicted by this this past week. Because as you know, I like to play golf. And I've been using golf as an opportunity to minister and to witness to people that are unbelievers. And I was playing with a pastor just recently. And when the round was over at the nicer golf courses, there'll be a man waiting there with a wet towel to wash all your clubs off and usually tip the man. Well, one of the things that golfers have learned to do is, is tell the guy, you don't need to wash my clubs. In other words, I don't want to have to tip you, so don't wash my clubs. And so me and this other pastor, trying to save a few bucks, said, don't worry about it. The man that we were witnessing to said, wash all their clubs. I'll tip you for everybody. And as I went into the parking lot, I was convicted of the fact that what did I just show to this lost man about my attitude about my father taking care of me financially? And I was convicted. Folks, I don't know about you, but I can promise you that God has many a time in your life. Actually, I do know about you because I know how God works. He's taken you through times of blessing and lean and blessing and lean. And he's doing it to reteach you that lesson back in Deuteronomy 8. He said, I'm the one who led you these 40 years in the wilderness. I made you hungry. I made you thirsty. I put you in that situation to humble you and remind you of your dependence on me, to test you and show you what was in your heart, whether or not you keep my commandments, and to teach you that man doesn't live by me meeting your latest need, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And I could spend the rest of tonight telling you story upon story upon story about how God has many times in our life shown by taking us to a place where we're we're, we're, we're strapped financially to test and to humble and to teach. But I want to share one with you. About five years ago, 
When I was in this traveling ministry, things started to get a little tight for us financially. We support a lot of missionaries, and I'm not sharing that with you to, to brag, but just simply to say we support a lot of missionaries as well, even though we have people support our ministry as well. And with the giving, and we're not doing crazy stuff. we got cars, but they're all used and paid for cash. We don't have any debt. We don't have cable TV. We're not doing crazy, stupid stuff with money. But things were starting to get pretty tight where every month over $400 was coming out of our savings just to help us pay the bills. And we were starting to watch the savings account dwindle. Do you ever done the math ahead of time where you figure by this point it will run out? We were getting a few weeks away from it running out. And of course, as we start to worry about it and do the math, my wife and I sit down and we start making the, maybe we should have a garage sale. My wife said, maybe I need to pick up a part-time job. Maybe I should. And we start to come up with all these ways. And at that time, we were losing $400 a month. We were about to take a trip to go visit Becky's grandmother that was going to cost us $3,000. We did the math ahead of time with the gas and the hotels and the meals and everything. It was going to cost $3,000 to go travel to her grandmother's and back. And we didn't have that money. And on top of that, the church we go to, instead of taking special offerings for stuff every throughout the year, they just do one month of missions where they just do a special thing. And they ask people to write a big check on faith and trust God and bless. And then that church then distributes the money however they feel God leads to all the missionaries. And we wanted to give a big offering. We, we've been praying and we wanted to give 500 bucks to the mission offering. And we didn't have it. And so right at that time, as we're trying to figure out how can we help God come up with a few bucks. Maybe I could pinch it here and maybe I can scrape here. We had a missionary family come and stay in our house. And I had just finished reading the book. Has anybody ever read the book, God Smuggler? About Brother, Brother Andrew as he went around smuggling Bibles into foreign countries back in the Iron Curtain days. Well, there was this part of the story where he was about to head into this one country and he had to go through a checkpoint on the border. And his Volkswagen Beetle was full of Bibles. And if they found any of the Bibles, he would have been arrested right away, put in prison, and his wife and kids would have never known what had ever happened to him. And the Bibles were hidden all in compartments in the book, in, in the Volkswagen Bug. But it took him six hours to get through that checkpoint because every car, there were only six cars. But every car in front of them, they were taking an hour examining everything, pulling the hubcaps off, pulling the motors apart, making the person stand off to the side as they tore the cars apart. And as he sat there, he realized, when it's my turn, there's no way they won't find these Bibles. Even though they're hidden, there's no way with them pulling them apart. And they began to pray, and he felt like God said to him, don't you try to use your cunning and your craftiness to get through this. I want you to trust me. And God told him while he was sitting in line to reach behind and pull a couple of Bibles out of hiding and put six of them on the passenger seat right next to him, which is an automatic death sentence. And so he did. He trusted God. He did the stupid thing. And he put the Bibles on the front seat. When it was his turn to be examined, he started to get out of his car and they shut his door and told him to go. Well, he thought, well, maybe they just want me to pull forward a little bit so they can do it. So he pulled forward, looked in his rearview mirror, and the guy behind him in the car behind him was being pulled out. The hubcaps were coming off, and they hadn't even checked his car, and he was able to drive through. And in that story, I had just finished reading that book. As I was praying about this, God spoke to my heart, and he said, Jim, I know you're losing so much money. You're seeing your money run out. I'm going to ask you to do something stupid. I want you to put some Bibles on the front seat of your car. I want you to tell that missionary family that you will support them so much a month for the rest of their lives, and I want you to go do an automatic withdrawal from your checking account. I called my wife into the bedroom, and I said, here's what I've heard God say. 
We prayed together. She said, let's do it. We walked out of our bedroom, went to that couple who were staying at our house for that week. And we said, show us how to set it up on the computer that when you go back to, to where you are in Africa, that we can pay you and support you. Which was a stupid thing to do because we we're already losing money. The very next day, I went to a board meeting from a ministry. When I walked into the board meeting, uh, one of the guys on the board starts handing pieces of paper around to everybody. And we're like, what's this? He said, well, back in November, I told everybody to vote and pray about whether or not Jim was supposed to get a raise. And no one ever got back with me. It's now May. We're deciding today whether or not Jim's going to get a raise. I said, do you need me to leave the room? They said, nope, stay right here. They got the people on the board from Dallas on the speakerphone. And they sat there and they said, well, the percentage in, uh, increase in, the, in, the, in the, uh, uh, the, the United States has been 3% increase, usually cost of living. And so but it's been a couple of years, three, four years since Jim's had a raise and boom, boom, boom. By the time it was all said and done, they voted me a 12% increase on my salary, which right then would take care of the $400 a month. My paycheck was going to jump that 12%. And on top of that, this... Uh, one guy says, well, we were supposed to vote on this in November, and this is now May. Why don't we cut Jim a check today for all the money that he's lost in raise from November till now? Guess how much that check came to? $3,000. And then another man said, when, church, when Jim goes and speaks at churches, they'll write sometimes the check. Instead of writing it out to Just a Preacher Ministries, they write it out to Jim Johnson. And what Jim does is he just signs the check over to the ministry but then the church will send him a 1099, and he has to pay taxes on money that he never saw. See, because whenever you give money to the ministry and you put money in the offering box there, it goes to the ministry. I get a salary. But sometimes churches will write it to me, and I just sign that check over to the ministry, but then the church taxes me or sends me tax paperwork on money that I never got. And this guy goes, I think we need to cut Jim a check to cover the taxes he's had to pay on money he never saw. Anybody want to guess how much they wrote me for a check for? $500. And in less than 24 hours, we brought us to the brink. He brought us right to the edge where the money was going to run out. But he said, I want you to trust me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. And folks, within 24 hours, that's one story of 20 I could tell you in our lifetime. I'm going to ask you. We're not talking about the nation of Israel right now. When it comes to your really believing that God is good and he rewards generosity. When he tells you to bless, do you do it or do you hold off? See, it's easy for us to give our hand-me-down clothes. And there's nothing wrong with giving stuff we're not using. But one Christmas in a church I was at in New Orleans, the pastor challenged everybody to go buy some of these homeless people brand new clothes. Another whole story for another day. I could tell you what God did through that. Go to Matthew. Well, I'm not going to turn there. Just if you want to write down Matthew 23, 37 through 39 and Luke 19, 41 through 44. That's Matthew 23, 37 through 39 and Luke 19, 41 through 44. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the nation of Israel had rejected him, listen to what he says. He said, I wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. And he said, if you only you had known what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. In other words, Jesus said to the nation of Israel, you don't understand. I wanted this to be a time where I blessed you, but you wouldn't let me. Your iniquities have kept good from you. Oh, and there's another problem with the nation of Israel. Not only did they, the reason they reject God's word is because they thought they knew better or they had no fear of God or they thought serving God was a chore and a duty. 
They also didn't want to hear of judgment, mourning, or woe. They only wanted to hear about positive things. Does that sound familiar today? Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Now some of you are probably thinking to yourself, Jim, we're supposed to be studying the book of Ezekiel, but we're spending more time in Jeremiah. I told you at the beginning, the only way you can study the book of Ezekiel is to study the book of Jeremiah at the same time. Because the two of them are contemporaries, and what God said was happening at the same time. And there's so much together. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 10 through 21. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken. The elderly and very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others. Their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They don't even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At that time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. I remind you what I had said earlier uh, in a previous study, but it's going to be reiterated a little bit more tonight. At the time that God was using Jeremiah and, and uh, Ezekiel and other prophets like Micah and others to preach to the southern kingdom the judgment that is coming because of their sin, there were other false prophets who were coming up and saying, don't listen to them. It's not going to be bad. It's actually going to be good. There's going to be a time of peace and it's all going to be okay. And we're living in a day, folks, in which the scriptures are very, very clear that, well, I'll show you scripturally in just a second, things are going to go from bad to worse. And there are preachers out there today that are just focusing on the positive and everything's good and everything's going to be okay. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And let me, let me show you again. Go to Jeremiah 14. Look at verses 13 through 16. Jeremiah 14, 13 and following. Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 16. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, these, those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Jump over to chapter 23. Look at verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say no disaster shall come upon you. Now you say, Jim, OK, maybe that's what happened back at that day. But where do we have it from God that there's going to be a time of judgment now? Where do you have that this going to get from bad to worse? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to Second Timothy, chapter four. Go to Second Timothy, chapter four. Look at verses one through four. Remember last week we looked at the fact that in Luke, chapter 18, verse eight, Jesus said, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, writing to Timothy, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Jump over to chapter 3. Jump back one chapter to 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So it's pretty clear that in the last days, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And folks, if you're even watching the news, you can see it's happening across the globe. And even in America now, it's picking up speed. Has anybody not caught on the chaos that is starting to erupt on our globe, and especially in the United States? It's because the hand of God's blessing has been removed from us. Our iniquities have kept good from us. And God has said, you want to go that way? I will let you. And folks, it's going to get worse. I challenge you to show me anywhere in the Bible that it actually says things are going to get better in the end. It isn't. It isn't. And I have to be faithful to you because one day I'm going to stand before God. And just like he told Ezekiel, you better tell him everything I told you to say. I have to be faithful to you and tell you it's going to get worse. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, he's going to take care of us. But it doesn't mean we won't go through some stuff between now and then. But there's a difference between going through tribulation and the tribulation period. The tribulation period has a different purpose, and that's not for his church. It's not for his bride. He's not going to have to purify us. We've already been made pure. And if the time of the tribulation, that seven-year period, is a time of purifying, that doesn't need to happen to us, thank the Lord, because we've been made holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's not going to work his bride over and rough her up and make her pretty. But that time of purification is going to happen for the nation of Israel and the judgment of the wicked nations who have rejected Jesus. Go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Speaking to the church, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And then you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. By the way, and did anybody catch the fact that this passage that we've loved to quote over the years about submitting ourselves to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, which we have used for years to just talk about saying no to temptation is in the context of saying, come back to me. In other words, (laughs) submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's actually saying you're already losing. He's already winning. You're already playing with him. You need to stop. We've read it as, in that time of battle, I will submit to God and resist the devil. You know what? In the context, we'd already lost because we've become friends with the world. And folks, I'm going to let the Spirit of God do His work. It's not my job to try to go further and do any more, but just simply to tell you, in the same way that Ezekiel was sent to tell the people of Israel, a judgment is coming, repent, prepare yourselves. It's not going to change for the nation. The nation's not going to listen, but individuals can respond. I want to say the same thing to yourself and to myself. Go to Ezekiel chapter 3. I think that's the book we're studying. Ezekiel chapter 3. I love the fact that years ago a lady said to me, she said, Jim, you're not teaching us the book of Philippians. You're teaching us the Bible using the book of Philippians. And I thought, that is awesome. I love it. That's great. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And God said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you're not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles to your people and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Now, this eating of the words of the God in the scroll is not the first time we've seen this, nor will it be the last. Actually, if you go with me real back to, quickly to Jeremiah chapter 15, look at one verse, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 15, look at verse 16. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Go back to or forward, if you will, to Revelation chapter 10. Remember in our study of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, we see a similar thing that John went through that Ezekiel is going through here. Revelation 10, verses 8 through 11. Says, then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. 
And I was told you are, must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And we've talked about this before in our study of Revelation. The reason why it tastes sweet to us but makes our stomach bitter is because we know the wonderful news of God's grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. But we also are told to preach this message to a people we know are going to reject it. And it's going to make us sick to our stomach and grieve over the fact that we know most of the world is not going to accept this. We touched that last week at the end and the fact that nowhere does the Bible say that the church was going to change the world. But actually the Bible says that few there be that find the narrow road. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This whole idea of the church changing the world for Jesus and bringing about a great revival on the earth is not what the Bible teaches. We've just been told to be his witnesses and he's going to use us to make Israel jealous. And he's also at the same time using us to display his glory. If you ever look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and following, his God's intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. He's actually putting us on display not only to make Israel jealous, but also to display some things about who he is to the angels, demons and angels. Folks, there's a lot more going on than us trying to change the world for Jesus. Stop trying to grow your church just love each other and grow in love with Jesus Christ and watch what he does. And everything else falls into place. To eat or to ingest or the word is to simply make the words your life. Real quickly, go to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, look at what Jesus says in verse 35. And then we're going to jump down to verse 47. John 6 verse 35, Jesus says, one more page here. There we go. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jump down to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. If we eat, we'll go back to Ezekiel. It's right there in the section we just read. Ezekiel chapter 3, look at verse 10. The answer is right there. To eat the word of God is to believe it in our heart and to just ingest it in that way. In verse 10, moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart. And hear with your ears. All right? Now, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of people that have tasted the Word of God and spit it out. There's a big difference between knowing the Word and believing the Word. Because one of the reasons why people don't like me to be a counselor, they've come to me for counseling and then they quickly regret it is because all I'm going to do is say, well, here's what the Word says. And the thing is, is many of us can quote the Bible. We can quote verses, but do we really believe them? See, I could get you started on many verses. If I were to just start you on Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. We know that verse, but how do we live most of our lives? Worrying, trusting in our own wisdom to try to fix the problem, and never believing that God's actually going to show us. Well, how can I hear God? I don't know what God's going to say. I don't ever hear God. I'm one of these ones that says, cry a river, build a bridge, get over it. The book says he will show you. He says he'll show you. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Yeah, but. I don't know what to do with buts, folks. I'm sorry. Either we believe God, let God be true, and every man a liar. And so it's time that we eat the word of God, not just know it in our head, not be able to quote it, but believe it. And so I want to challenge you to stop seeing the word of God as a duty or a chore or an obligation, but your very life. Go to Psalm 119. David understood that. Psalm 119, I'm going to read you the first 16 verses, and then we're going to jump ahead just a couple of verses as well. We can't read the whole chapter. There's not enough time tonight. But listen to all the different ways that God uses, or David uses words, the different words he uses to describe the Word of God. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Jump over to chapter 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, I, Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Has anybody ever noticed how David is saying, man, I love your law. I love your commandments. I love your rules. I love your statutes. How in the world would he be excited about law and commandments and rules? Because he's come to understand that when God says thou shalt not, it is best. And when God says thou shalt, it is best. He knows what's good for us. He knows what is best. Satan comes and says, I know what God said, but he's only said that because he doesn't want you to experience good. Isn't that what Satan said? Pretty much what he said. He's holding back on you by telling you you can't eat from that tree. You're going to miss out on stuff if you don't eat of that tree. How many of us have fallen into sin throughout all our life? Because even though we knew God said don't, we did. Because we thought we knew better. We really didn't have a fear of God. And on top of that, we thought his words were a chore or a burden. Just something you had to do. Isn't it sad that as we try to share the gospel of salvation by faith and God's grace to the world... They think Christianity are the people who follow the rules. They don't understand. The rules aren't really rules. 
They're God's blessings if you'll do it. And God has been saying all along, if you will just walk in my word, I will bless you. Oh, I will put you through times where I'll test your faith. And there'll be times when you'll question whether or not I'm good. But if you will trust me in those times, test me, test me, see if I won't open the windows of heaven. There's something here that's a struggle to all of us. Back in Ezekiel chapter 3, there's something here that's a struggle to all of us. And you may be surprised to find out it's actually a greater struggle for preachers and pastors. Look at Ezekiel 3.9 and Ezekiel 2.6. In Ezekiel 3.9, God says, Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead, Ezekiel. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. We all, all of us, and I'm going to show you some examples that God had me write down. I'm going to let the Spirit of God do His work through that. But we all struggle with the fear of man. What that means simply is, is we're more concerned with what man will think than what God will think. That's all, it, that's all it means. Preachers and pastors struggle with it more than you'd ever believe. Some of us were baptized as a baby. And we know God's word says that baptism comes as a profession of your faith and it's to happen after salvation. But there are people that won't be baptized even though God has said, believe and be baptized because they're worried about hurting mama's feelings. If I get baptized again, mama will be crushed. And they fear mama more than God. And they wonder why God's not blessing. I know we shouldn't be living together or sleeping together, but I'm afraid that if I say that we need to stop this, they'll get mad. And you're more worried about what man says than what God says. I'm going to avoid teaching on preaching on certain subjects because so-and-so might get mad. You know, right now, it's a big movement in society and in the United States even now that it's about to get very, very, and it already is dangerous for preachers to say that homosexuality is a sin. Even the Bible, though, says it is, right? Guess what? If I get put in prison for it, I'll be put in prison for it. I'm not seeking to be offensive. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I need to preach the whole counsel of God. We're going to get into that later on in chapter 3. I fear God more than I fear man. Remember how the early disciples were told not to preach anymore in Jesus' name? Oh, by the way, the people that were telling them, don't do this, were the exact same people that had just put Jesus to death. Same group that already seen what they did. And they said, you tell us which is better, to fear man or to fear God. But that family is a large part of giving, and they might leave. Do you fear God or do you fear man? Now, we're told, Ezekiel was told, and we're told to don't worry what people think, speak the truth. But now you know the Bible says speak the truth in love. But let me clarify something here as well. There's a big difference between speaking about what you think needs to be said and what God has told you to say. You understand? 
Ezekiel's told, you say the words that I've told you to say. My wife, I have to be honest with you, I shared this last night when she was there. She's many a time said, I wish I wasn't married to a preacher. Because when she'll share an ex- a feeling or, ha- or you know, just, just an emotion, because I run everything through the filter of the word of God, like I told you, you don't want to come for me for counseling. You don't want to be married to me either and just say something off the cuff. Because I'll feel like it's my chance to show her that that's not theologically correct. We shouldn't feel that way. God's word says. And I've had to learn that just because I'm a preacher doesn't mean I'm supposed to say something about everything. And we have to be careful because there are some people that say, well, I'm not worried about the fact that man gets mad. I'm just telling it like it is. God's word says, be careful. You have to make sure that you're saying what God has said. Listen. When God has said to say it, and how God has said to say it, go with me to the book of Job. Go to chapter 42. Job 42, we're looking at verses 7 through 9. And as you're going there, let me remind you of what happened in the book of Job. His three friends come, and they start off great. But after a week, they can't hold their tongue anymore. And they spend a lot of chapters telling Job that this, all this calamity in his life is because of his sin in his life. And I actually could spend a whole study walking through the words of Job's three friends, and I could show you by looking at the rest of Scripture how everything that they said about God was true. And I could back it all up with Scripture. Everything they said about God to Job was true. Listen to what God says, though, in chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. Then after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Hang on for a second. God says that they didn't say what was right about him. But like I told you, I could prove to you scripturally that everything they said about God was true. Actually, interestingly enough, he says what Job said about God was true. Yet I could show you that where Job says stuff about God that isn't true. Where he says it's better for a tree than it is for a man. If you cut a tree down, at least the shoot comes back out. What hope is there for man? Job actually was in such distress. He said, I wish there were knees never to receive me. In other words, I wish I'd never been born. He even said, I don't think this is fair. I don't think this is right. I don't even have a chance to talk with God. Now, were those statements all true? No. None of those things that he said was true. But God said that Job's friends didn't speak what was right about God, but Job did. Listen closely. Because Job's friends were saying things that were true about God, but didn't apply to what God was doing in Job's life at that time. And Job, even though he said things that weren't true about God, when he was speaking about what God was doing at that time, he was right in the fact that this had nothing to do with his sin. And we have to be careful because sometimes we look at people's lives and we just assume because we know the word of God that how it should be applied in your life. And that's where we have to be willing to let the spirit of God convict and open people's eyes and ears. Yes, that may be true, but is that what God's doing in this person's life right now? And we have to be willing 
when he tells us to speak, to speak. But don't just run off at the mouth. Make sure he's told you to say something. And I'm learning as a husband, sometimes when my wife says stuff, I'm not supposed to preach. (laughs) I have the bruises to prove it. Once again, look at, we'll close with verse 11. Ezekiel is told in chapter 3 to preach whether they hear or refuse to hear. You'll have a whole lot more fun sharing the words of God when you stop worrying about whether or not they listen or worrying about whether or not they get it or whether or not you've done it right. Just share what God said to share. Whether they hear or refuse to hear, whose job is that? We already did that study last week, remember? Who's sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency comes from Christ. If anybody gets it, God opened their eyes. If they reject it, Satan's blinded their eyes. It has nothing to do with us. So stop worrying about whether or not we're good at it, whether or not we're capable of convincing anybody, and just share what he's told people to share as he tells you how. And watch what God does. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.